Welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. I don't think you're ready for this podcast, you know. This this is a really good episode. Uh, I, I've kind of come off it feeling really inspired. Uh, Dorian is a, a very, very lovely man who has a wealth of experience from buy to less, properties, flips. But what we talk about near the end is selling forward or working with social housing associations who will pre-buy a property off you so there's no market risk there's none of that stuff which is pretty tasty um, and some of the profits on these deals 500 700 grand etc are quite nice and this is actually in an area that isn't considered sort of high value either so if you could apply this model to your area uh, those profits could easily double or triple so just to give you a bit of an idea he has raised 2.1 million pounds in finance and mainly through networking events he's been to 100 plus networking events which you can see there's a lot of work for a lot of money Um, he has 170 properties in his pipeline with a gdv of 31 million pounds now, these numbers sound big and they sound intimidating, but I promise you, Doran is the nicest man. Um, and I've met him a couple of times and he is absolutely fantastic. He can also sing the Welsh national anthem of which he did sing publicly, loudly at a networking event that we were at, which was good fun. So um, we get kind of real in this podcast. We talk about things that people maybe don't want to hear, but we feel are important that you hear. Just a reminder, if you do want to invest your money passively or on an earn and learn, give me a shout. Uh, I am always looking to work with people and give you a return that is way better than the bank um, or your ISA or, you know, the bottom of your bed, wherever you keep your dollars. So, yeah, get in touch with me. If you're not following me on Instagram, it's tej.talks. If you are not subscribed to my YouTube, then what are you doing? Uh, tej.talks property. Dorian Payne, welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Thank you, Tej. Thank you for having me. You know, when I first saw your name, I thought you were like a character from a Hollywood movie with like two guns and just slow motion. Don't you have such a, such a cool Hollywood name? Don't you think? <laughs> Thanks, mate. I get that all the time, you know, when I'm walking down the street. I can imagine people are like, oh my God, superstar. So, but today we're not talking about Hollywood. We are talking about property, investing, developing, um, and you know, you do something really, really interesting, which I know a lot of people like would want to do and have tried to do. And actually, you know, from my personal experience, I found it very difficult um, to even start kind of what like you were doing. Now, you are a Welshman, if people haven't worked it out yet. So, um, so we invest in the same area or similar areas. I feel like I've driven past your stuff without realizing it. Um, so. Before we get into like what you're doing um, and some of your deals and some of the figures just to, to whet people's appetite, can you tell us like what were you doing before property if there ever was a pre-property, Dorian? Yeah, sure. Um, well, yeah, pretty much as you said, uh, I'm, I'm from lovely sunny Wales, as as you know. Um, met you down here as well and you're doing some great stuff in the area. So thank you, Tej, for bringing Wales back on the map. It's uh always a great thing especially with your standard of, of finish so uh yeah moving on uh what i was doing pre-property well that's a 
That is a funny one, actually, isn't it? Um, so I guess how I started, I've, I've always kind of been into business, if that makes sense. Pre-property were, you know, in school, I was sort of doing things in school to make money. Um, probably things you shouldn't be doing, like selling cigarettes. But, you know, hey-ho, man's got to make pocket money. No one's joking. <laughs> no, uh, seriously. So I was doing um, in school at... Yeah. So in school, like I said, I was doing some business activities, but predominantly I've always known I wanted to be in property. So my dad is a builder and my mum was a stay at home mum, and they were acquiring properties, what we call a buy refurbish refinance model. And my basically my dad was buying them. He was doing the work and they were sort of refinancing back out and carrying on doing it. It started by accident um, many years ago. And, you know, good on them. They've built uh, a good, solid portfolio of many units around Newport, South Wales. And as they started to generate quite a lot in the portfolio, they found the management side of it quite difficult or because of the new legislation and things. So when I was in early school, I started helping my mum in the house managing. So I learned property management the old fashioned way, you know, paper books and everything like that. Um, back when I was quite young, actually. And, 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 you know, fortunate enough as well, I've really enjoyed it. So I set my first business up, which was a letting agency when I was 16, just as I was leaving school, because um, I, I just knew I wanted to be a property investor and developer myself. And that's where it really started. So pre-property, which was your question, um, I don't think they really, the only time there was that was when I was in school, in a nutshell. Hmm. And so, like, I know there's kind of a natural transition there with your family, but did it ever occur to you, hey, let me go and be normal and get a job? <laughs> yeah, well, I actually had a stint, a small stint of that. Um, I've never really been employed. There was a, there was a very small period I was. Um, basically, what happened as I left school and set up my business, I realized I wanted to know more about the financial side of a business, how, I, how to actually run a business. So I took a, an accountancy course. Um, part-time and um, some people maybe listening might understand it it was an, it was called AAT Association of Accounting Technicians and then I also did one day a week at university in the evenings called ACCA which is you know a chartered accountant basically um, so whilst I was doing that I actually volunteered uh, an accountancy practice because I, I, I was learning the theory but I wanted to know the practice how it really works so I volunteered and worked there for six months free, again, part-time, whilst I was building my business. And then I actually got offered a job there. So I took the job, and with my proceeds from my wages, I actually employed two people using, in Wales, we had a sort of um, a government initiative called, uh, I can't remember what it was called, but the company was called ISA Training, where they would fund half of the wages of an employee via a grant. So I got my wages from the county firm and then actually employed two more people from my business, my letting agency, um, half funded by the government grant and then half funded by me from my wages and started scaling that way. Wow. And, you know, lettings is, is an interesting business. Um, you know, are there any lessons from, you know, your, your time in lettings that you could share with people listening about, I guess maybe lessons from a letting agent to those who either, I guess there's two questions here, advice on finding a good lettings agent. And then secondly, if you are going to self-manage, any tips and advice on that? 
Yeah, sure. So um, I learned a massive amount. Uh, the, the the fundamental knowledge of my sort of well, my my property knowledge now and everything I do all started from my lettings background and also the the business background that came from obviously starting scaling and the, the lettings business itself. But to answer your question specifically, um, my advice really, if you were going to look for a letting agent, I I probably would try and look for ones that are kind of smaller where I could get a personal relationship with the the key decision makers, if that makes sense. Uh, and so somebody that's really looking to drive the business a little bit commercially minded, um, incentivized to work with you rather than you just being a digit on a book of many, many other people. But then the thing to watch out for that is, is to try and make an assessment to see if th- those businesses are also struggling cash flow wise, because that will also impact you. Um, it's a fine balance really. If, that's that's what I would do, really. Um, so if if I want anything done, then it's it's a much faster and more efficient process than waiting in a, a big queue or having different employees that have hardly been trained deal with you and, and kind of mess things up. So that's that's for the first part. The second part of your question, if you were to self manage, um, which is what we do now, we obviously so we self manage our own, basically train up our staff and and they do it. Uh, they help with the majority of it anyway. Uh, self-management is good, uh, is what we prefer because we're in more control, but you've, that really, I would say is individual dependence. So obviously if you're based in London, it's very difficult for you to self-manage a property in Wales, for example, like, like yourself, um, is, is all right when the tenants are good, but if anything starts going wrong or you're not down there enough to, to sort of review and and do inspections and things, then, then it could lead to a disaster, but self-management in a nutshell, is all about your systemization and your initial processes. So 90% of the problems with letting a property and all that comes with it is from the very beginning. If you don't have good processes and systems in place from the beginning and the type of tenants you check in, then you're going to have an absolute nightmare. I've literally seen it and experienced it. Uh, like we were doing HMOs, for example, in, in the early days. And one tenant, one bad tenant from just not doing sufficient checks before they moved in can make a whole house go empty and then you've you they they most more of the time they even know their rights or they go to the council that tell them their rights so so it's very difficult to evict them as well and, and you could you can literally have a, a very very hard time that way so that, that would that, that would be my advice okay so I guess it's like if you are going to self-manage, don't just take it as, ah, oh, just, you know, another part of the property business. Take it as this is another serious part of the property business that, you know, like with refurbs, like with anything else, we have to get right from the beginning. And if it takes a bit longer, if, it, if it's a bit slower, that's okay because you want to set the wheels in motion in the right direction, right? Oh, 100%. I mean, property itself, property investing or developing is a, is a business in its own right. And each business functionality... Uh, with which lettings and management is should be treated with sincere respect and respect and you know it is a serious it, it is serious if you mess it up or if you're not don't give enough attention to it it will come back to bite you it's you know it, it's just it's just the way it is but if you just dedicate a little bit of time um put some processes and key really it's your criteria as well and if you just think about it and like you said don't really disregard it as an easy as an easy thing, even when you're let, giving it to a letting agent. By the way, if you don't, if you don't have any processes yourself or your or, or your own standard, how are you going to know they're doing a good job for you? 
you know, I see a lot of people just giving them to an agent and just forgetting about it and moving on. But those are the ones that tend to have problems later down the line. Yeah. And I think that's important with any kind of outsourcing, right? It's easy to just give it to someone and expect them to do it to your level, but they're never going to do it to your level firstly. And secondly, you, as annoying as it is, at least for the setup stage of anything, you you as the owner, the passionate one, the carer has to has to be involved. I think... Like my experience with letting agents is like, so the two I've used, I'm I'm self-managing moving forward, but the two I've used, which I'm I'm getting rid of, not not because they're bad, um, that that they're they're great, I like them, but whenever there's a problem, you know, if they go get a quote from one of their tradesmen, it's it's always thirty forty percent more than my team, um. And it often takes a bit longer and there's often, you know, their tradesmen want to charge for quoting and so, so I've personally found that what really happens is they message me because they know what I'm like and they say, Tej, got this problem. And I'm like, cool. I send one WhatsApp message to someone. It's fixed. I get the invoice. <laughs> yeah. So for Amazing. me, I'm kind of like, I do buy to let. So it's as boring and hopefully simple as you can get. But that's just two sides of the, the coin for people who are listening. So if we go back to your your story, you were doing lettings. How did like how did that then progress to you being like right? I'm gonna buy some houses now. <laughs> well, I, I I did struggle with age uh, as you so so back then. Honestly, when I was when I had the letting agency um, and I was scaling that, I wasn't really in a position to get mortgages because obviously I was too young. Um, so I just dedicated my time to my my, my original plan was to scale the business. Uh, make sort of much money from the business as I could and invest it all into property and build a mammoth portfolio. That was my goal. I was very, very money driven uh, back then. And what that was probably one of my more negative traits. So uh, from a business point of view, I learned very early that if you're doing something just for the money or you're chasing money, you are um, you will miss a lot of the key soft facts around you that that actually are instrumental to your success if that makes sense i know that was a little bit i uh, think but really for me as i was scaling my business because i was chasing the money new opportunities were coming up all the time which i was trying to go for so people call that now in these circles the shiny penny syndrome um obviously i suffered massively for that for a few years because as i was scaling my business and i was the team was growing which was good. We was taking on many properties. We was letting many properties. Uh, we, I branched into a state agency and I started focusing on that. And then I personally, as the key decision maker and owner, took my eye off the leadings. I made the other outsourcing mistake, like you said, which is um, I basically tried delegating my responsibility, which uh, you cannot do because <laughs> uh, I just I didn't thought that they were to my standard. Again, another business mistake. I just assumed that they could do it as good as I did it. Not that they couldn't. It's just they didn't have the same sort of mindset that I did. I mean, if you think about it, I had my money, uh, my personal money, and on the line is my, my business is my livelihood, right? For them as an employee, the end of the month is their livelihood when they get paid. So it's two different mindsets. And as I was scaling the business and jumping from these opportunities, like I said, we went from a state agency, I started scaling that. Once it started getting a bit of traction, I jumped ship. I opened a finance brokerage. Once that started scaling, I I jumped from that. I went into commercial. So as you can see, looking back now, my biggest mistake was trying to make so much money so fast. It was causing me 
a big problem. I, if I just focused, I would have made more, which is what I do now. I, I, I just, I'm very focused now, my business is, and I don't deviate from it very, very rarely anyway. Uh, and the, the results that you, you get from doing that is, is mammoth compared to what you would get just jumping ship all the time. Um, so that's, so that's how the, basically how it happened. And then as the years went by and I started becoming old enough to invest in property, uh, so the, some of the money I made, I, I did a deal myself. Um, I was classed as inexperienced. So my brother that was older than me, he's three years older than me, he did a sort of joint venture with me, if that makes sense. Um, so he's a, my brother is a builder, very talented as well, but uh, he can... He can just do all the trades, which is which is handy, especially for maintenance. But he did a joint venture with me. I put some money in. Um, he put some money in. He built, or he he helped build, and I helped labor, which I realized very quickly I never ever want to be on a building site <laughs> working. <laughs> Learned the value of uh, um, I wouldn't you know sticking to what you're good at and not trying to sort of save money by doing tasks you're not skilled in either. Uh, they just take you so long when you value your time basically i learned to value my time more uh, and anyway that we did that project and it was successful and that really started me off on my journey i started working with private investors from there mm. and i mean i always need a good builder so you might have to uh, introduce me to your brother if he uh, if he <laughs> if he ever has a gap but you're building all the time so so then you know you you said something there and there was quite a quick transition there so you obviously bought you know the first sort of property, did the JV, and then you started using investor finance. How, yeah, like how did, how did you go from, so obviously you had business experience, you had a proven track record of just, you know, being an adult, right? Making businesses work and scale and things like that. So you had a, a bit behind you. How did you go from, I assume, sort of one or two properties with your brother to then being like, hey, random people, let's talk about investing. Like, how, how did that, happen because i want people to understand how they can then build the trust and and like you did yeah amazing and and that's a really good question actually so as i transitioned from the business into property and realized that well you know i was fulfilling my 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 beginning dream and realized that um if i just focused i can get results clear results i also realized that obviously property is a capital intensive game and i need more money so what I did uh, once the first property was done and me and my brother was looking at another one, I then started networking um, to go out there and uh, build relationships with other people. I actually, at that stage, looking back now, if I remember, I didn't actually realize. So hindsight is an amazing thing, isn't it? I didn't actually realize when I started networking, it was actually accidental. I didn't realize then that I, I needed to borrow a lot more of what I could actually genuinely do with other people's money and, and collaborating with people. I was actually, uh, it was an accident. Like I said, I think if I remember, I came across, again, power of big data, right? I just came across something on social media about a property networking event. That was the first time that I actually went start, started networking. And when I attended the event, I started speaking with, um, and basically it was like a training event. And I went in, I started speaking to a couple of people and my, you know, as I was speaking to this one guy, he basically said to me, yeah, I have money, um, but I'm in a full time job and I don't really want to do it myself. I'm just looking for someone to do it for me and I'll just put the money in. So that's the first time 
I actually understood that you could use other people's money. And it didn't take me long to put two and two together, just again, from, you know, my other, just from my other business experience and, and, you know, watching and dealing with money coming in and money coming out and loans and things like that, paying people back and realize what you could just do with it. And then stack, obviously knowing how to stack deals and properties, well, knowing what the margin was. But for me, it took me that long, I suppose. I didn't realize at the very beginning how I could work with other people. Uh, my family themselves, they just use all their own funds. So they, they, even today, they don't borrow. They don't use other people's money. It's just their own funds. It's just a family portfolio. It's, it, re, it just pays for itself continuously, uh, which is a good position to be in. Hmm. I mean, what do you think it was about you that because obviously physical networking is is important but they only like they only see you sort of that once they don't know your history necessarily there's no proof it is very um you know i think you with physical networking could be wrong here you need to meet people a few times and then maybe they see your stuff online or i think it's a bit more proof is needed right so how did these people like trust you so quickly like what what do you think it was about you that Mm. yeah that allowed them to do that yeah, and I think that's quite interesting because the so like I've, I'm fortunate enough to borrow quite a lot of many different investors. Um, but for looking back, there's, there has been many times where I've kind of generated and look, uh, you know, fortunate enough, I've generated enough trust initially where these sort of investment deals been done, and then it's just let's move on to the sort of how, how is it really going to work, the due diligence phase. So. Uh, so yeah, I mean, how how do they generate trust into me? I'm guessing from the way I spoke to them. Um, if you if you're just new into property, I would say that um, you shouldn't just go out and just be asking people for money. So the one key thing I suppose is a good thing to recognise with myself is there's very rare that I actually go out asking for money. Um, even when I'm even when I'm looking for money and I'm, I'm physically networking, I don't actually ask for money. I don't, how I, how I do it is when I go networking, I start just speaking with people. I'm, I'm, I'm asking them questions, genuinely interested in what they've got to say to me. And normally by the conversation, I can gauge the probability of them being investors or not. Uh, and when it comes to me and when they ask me questions, I explain what I do in a way that I suppose was attracting investors. So I, w- I would say that, um, you know, I work with investors to develop properties in South Wales, for example. In a nutshell, it would be probably more elaborate than that. Like not right now, if I was to go networking now and people ask me what I do, I would say that I'm in the area because, like, if, if I, let's just say I'm in London, which sometimes I am, I say now that I'm in the area. I just I've just been had a meeting with one of my investors. I'm a property developer based in South Wales, and I specialise in forward selling developments, and I collaborate with investors to do that. And then if they are interested as developers, they start asking me more questions. Um, obviously, if they're not interested as developers, you know, they just normally say, oh, that's great. But the, the, the key ones is if they start asking me more questions like, oh, tell me more about that. Or how does that work? Or you work with investors, things like that. Then, then you start going down the path of they've invited you to tell them more about investments and, and opportunities like that. Um, and I suppose you know, over the years of the, being in property from the different backgrounds, whenever the questions were coming back, it was the question phase that was generating trust. Now, actually, it was the when they were asking me questions, it was the ability to answer them and for those questions to make the answers to make sense. Yeah. And I think that's, 
that's something that you kind of mentioned before maybe when you're new to property like you potentially will struggle with that because you don't know so as much as these 1997 courses etc will say to you you can raise money from anyone at any stage you absolutely can but you know for example if you're listening to this and you're like your first day in property today speaking to you speaking to me speaking to dorian there's going to be it's a different conversation it's a different confidence it's a different response and the only thing that can build that up is time and experience which you don't want to hear i know you don't want to hear that but well well to be honest you tez you've hit the nail on the head and there's a golden rule when it comes to a lot of these courses which is the truth doesn't sell really so you know obviously people that most of the time is you know the education courses is a business in its own right they they need to get customers in because that's how they make their money. But the real truth, if, if, if they explain the real truth out there, um, you know, courses can work as well. I'm not saying they don't. But what I'm saying is the majority of the time, the truth doesn't sell. And the truth with, with raising money is that you have to be able to hold your own when questions come to you. And you have to, you have to come across as knowledgeable. And you have to really, if, if, look, if, if I was to lend 100,000 out, I would, I would kind of know what questions to ask and what they should have thought of. Do you know, and if if I'm asking those questions, and and you don't know what you don't know uh, until you've gone through it, you'll learn. So yes, you will have to go through rejection and periods of no's, and you will have to go through the phases of just learning by experience. But that is going to be really valuable, and it's only because people. I what I've noticed is a lot of people are rushing for some reason. Everyone wants to get rich tomorrow, and I'm not really sure why. But that's <laughs> normally where all that comes from. Yeah, that's a really good point. And it's the reality I like to bring on this podcast. Like I was just thinking as you were saying that, like, you know, you you also have to sometimes go through like the the refurb process to be like, oh, if someone says to you, what happens if a refurb goes over budget? You need to have had that before. Like, what if the refine, what if you get downvalued? You need to have that before. And I'm not saying you can't raise money without this. Of course not. But I think people, like you said, hindsight, they'll look back and be like, damn, when I was raising money six months ago, what was I doing? And now I've been battered every single day. <laughs> I can answer anything and everything because I've been through it. And it's like, it is really hard to see that. Like when you're being battered by property and life and business, it's hard to be like, this is a blessing. Um, yeah, this yeah is, you're this right. Is forging my armor. So, what, you know, when it comes to networking events, so your use of social media is not heavy. Uh, are we agreed on that? Would you Would you say it's not... Yeah, I, I would say it was, it was only it's only the turn of this year, mainly after speaking with you, really, where you told me to where you told me to up my game a bit. So <laughs> I made a sort of New Year's resolution. But prior to this year, then no, not at all. It was terrible, actually. So, which is quite interesting because you still raised a lot of money, and you know that says a lot about you and your experience. But these events you were going to um, were they property or non-property or both? So I back then it was mainly property um and you know again i made i made a mistake let me just let me just put it out there i've raised money but i've also made mistakes raising money so i've raised money when i shouldn't have raised it for example there was there's one key thing now i say to anyone when i speak to them is this in property there's two key things you need right and that's deals and money without money then you can't do the deals and without deals well money's pointless so you need two key things deals and money however the first thing to assess with those two you know, deals and money is you need clear criteria. 
So without criteria, you're just shooting in the dark. You really are. And that's the same. Everyone knows that with deals, i.e., what am I looking for? But people, people forget that you also should have a criteria for money because there are you know, in types of investors. Do I want an active or passive investor? Do I want someone that's going to be hands-on or do I want someone that's going to be laid back? Do I want someone that's going to be a JV or do I want someone that's going to be a loan? And if so, what's, what's the t- typical rate? How long do they want to stay? All of these questions, without knowing the answers to them yourself, how do you know if you're working with the right person? Um, and I didn't do that. So some of the money I raised, uh, I didn't have a bad time, but I realized very quickly that if, if I had criteria, I would have not borrowed the money. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does make sense. I mean, I've been in that situation before where... I didn't have criteria and maybe slightly different. If I look back at it, I would have still borrowed the money because I needed it and it helped and it worked. But I know now my criteria, I'm like, okay, you know, X, Y, Z, I kind of know what I'm looking for, like you said. So that does make sense. And um, when it comes to, because I want to carry on with the with the reality we're giving, right? The the big spoon in reality. Like, so how, and you may not have tracked this, but like, I don't know, how many networking events or how many conversations do you think you have before you get an, an investor? You know, like what's the conversion ratio or what's, yeah, like how much work goes into getting just one investor? Do you know what? That, that's, that's really useful. And I, I'm, a, I'm a top, I'm quite an analytical guy. I do track many things. Um, actual networking and leads from networkings and converting from networking events is something I actually do not track, being honest with you. But I, I highly recommend anyone do that. I should do that, I'll be honest. But uh, from, from memory, from feel, this is, um, like I said, at the beginning, I started off doing just property networkings. Nowadays, I'm much more heavily business networking, but I do I do a mix. So I still do property, but I mainly do business networking events. Um, that That's what I'm doing now. So it, there has been a shift. And the reason for that is purely because, again, no disrespect from courses, but courses, if you think about it, it's, it's, it's funny. If you're sat in the audience, right, on one hand, they're telling you to raise money, yeah? And on the second hand, they're telling those in the room with money that they should be getting at least a thousand percent return on an investment, <laughs> you know? <Only>. So, <laughs> but, but so obviously if you're in that room, majority of investors you're speaking with, the expectations they have are that high that your deal, even if you can deliver that return instantly turns into high risk because if you've got to service that return and I've done this personally, this is what I was, one of the things I was talking about because, uh, if, if you have to service that return, that leaves a wafer thin margin for yourself. If, if let's just, I'm just assuming it, it might not, but, but what I'm saying is that was what I was, it was becoming probable that that would happen. Um, so I started looking for money elsewhere. Or when you have criteria, like you said, you can still borrow the money, but you now set their expectations to your criteria. And if they agree with it, you're good to go because everyone, and everyone understands. But yeah, um, Coming, coming back to what you said then about tracking, you know, I've attended some networking events and I'm doing, I'm doing a deal now. So we're building nine, nine apartments and, and the guy lent me 235,000. Great guy, got a lovely relationship with him. I literally walked through walked through the door. He was the first guy I spoke to and I told him I would carry on the conversation because I wanted to sort of work the room. And that was, that was pretty much it. He basically said to me on the spot, yeah, let's do it. It was, it was kind of that easy. On the other hand, I've had to work with investors and have about 10 meetings with them. So there's no hard and fast rule for it, I would say. But I've also gone to network events where there's been no one. And 
And to be that is more so than not. I mean, out of the investors I've worked with, which to be honest with you, isn't that many actually. I mean, what about about a dozen, about 12, 12 investors that I've worked with, then I would say I've probably done well over a hundred networking events to do that. Okay, so over a hundred networking events to get twelve investors. How much have they loaned you in total? Can you share? Uh, so I've raised two point one million from investors. Oof, that'll buy you half of Wales, mate. Bloody hell! Um, <laughs> so yeah. let's. Yeah. So I want to repeat that again. So over a hundred networking events, and you you go all over the UK. You're not just going down the road, are you? Like you're you're traveling a bit, a little bit. I act. I actually do hardly any networking events in Wales. I mean, most of them have, have been London based. Manchester, Birmingham, Reading, ah. so those ways, yeah. So you go to places that people hear your exotic accent in. Um, <laughs> so yeah. 100-plus networking events to get 12 investors to raise 2.2 million. Now, anyone listening who invests in London, you're going to think, oh, well done, Doreen, you raised enough for a, for a car parking spot. Um, but anyone who invests somewhere a bit more sensible with prices, you're, you're going to know that's a, a large chunk of money, especially if that's, you know, used in combination with mortgages and bridging, because that then becomes, <laughs> that becomes a ridiculous amount of money. But I want to get into everyone's head that 100 networking events plus is a lot of petrol, a lot of Airbnbs, oh, a lot God, of yeah. sitting in cars, a lot of sore throats, a lot of sitting through crap presentations. Um, oh, like, yeah. I can't even get across to people the scale of 100 networking events, right? And the, the cost mentally, physically, to raise the kind of money that for anyone listening would probably change their lives. So I want everyone to just yeah. maybe pause the podcast and have a think because that is the level that Doran's gone to. Um, and, and also, you know, again, going back to social media, this is without a brand. So for everyone listening, if you have a brand, you may have to do less networking events, you know, potentially. Yeah. But there's still a huge cost to raising that money. Now, if I said to you now, you know, looking back, do you do you wish you hadn't had to go to a hundred networking events, or are you sort of grateful for that? So, so is it is a bittersweet thing. So, yeah, looking at my card because I did my accounts um, uh, for the past few years, and I always I always compare. Um, I, I just got to come back to your point, which which is which is so right. Even though you can borrow other people's money and effectively not use your own money, the cost involved of borrowing someone's money, obviously getting getting in front of them for starters and and then building that relationship and then legal fees for the legal agreements alone can cost you thousands and it really can and that's without a guarantee the investor will go off i've spent last year alone i spent twenty thousand in the entertainment basically um well you didn't spend to... any of that on me did you get busted <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but, but but every time i go to london from wales for example um, you know, when I when I was first doing it, I was going up on the National Express. I was going on really off-peak times, like I was leaving at four in the morning. I was coming back at, you know, one in the morning again the very next day. And it was ridiculous because I was trying to save money. But now if I'm going, <coughs> I can't get to London, go to a networking event, have a few drinks. I don't drink, by the way, but, you know, have a few soft drinks and a meal and have travel there and back and eat on the way and back as well without any change, of a pro you know, between 150 to 200 pounds. I can't anyway. Um, uh, obviously, there's ways you can do it cheaper. Like I was, but still, you know, it's very easy, very, very easy to go and spend 100 pounds just doing it. Um, and all that, all those add up. So 
it does it does definitely cost you money and i started going on to some of those events then like the skiing networking and the, the adventure golf networking and and uh, just and training sessions that, that cost even more money but it's a bittersweet moment looking back at it i wouldn't change it now because of everything i've learned all the people i've met um you know i can is is a nice feeling just being able to have contacts pretty much across the uk that's a nice feeling but on the flip side i i probably wouldn't recommend people do the same thing it's if you know if i could if there was an easier way or there probably is an easy way like you said build a brand but if i would have fo- I, sh- I would have focused on that like today i'm starting to have good real conversations with the types of people that could really fund all of my deals um sometimes people meet those at the very beginning and that's that's very fortunate for them uh but yeah looking back i wouldn't change it but it is definitely it was definitely hard work um and i would have i would have done it if i would have done an easier way for sure Hmm. and you know it's quite inspiring to hear that you know because when and i think a lot of people listening as much as they're going to be like oh i hate hearing these real numbers and it's like that's such hard work i think a lot of people are going to be inspired especially the part you said about you were first traveling off peak you know doing things to save money which i'm in that stage right now right like i'm i will do things i'm not probably always will i'm I'm indian in it but like i in that stage where i knew however many years ago you know, doing those things. So it's kind of like nice to see you X many steps ahead, raising this kind of money, having these kind of conversations um, and doing stuff that like we all pretty much want to do. Um, I mean, I remember you came to crew from Wales and you got the train and I was like, what? Yeah. And you you got the train back at night. And I was like, when I first, last time when I first (laughs) met you and I was like, yeah, is some commitment there sir so <laughs> you know I, I applaud you for that and just so everyone knows like how long have you been doing property like I'm going to say seriously what I mean by that is I guess you know how long have you been using other people's money so so if you um so how long have been, yeah so using other people's money I've been probably I've been doing that on a serious level for the past four years. So uh, the first the, I would say the first two and a half years was raising small amounts of money. So the first loan I raised was twenty thousand, and then it built up. It was you know forty thousand, seventy five thousand, and then as the, and 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 they they were sporadic, so they were months apart. So it was difficult. I mean I wasn't doing many deals uh, years ago. I was doing. I was doing a few deals years ago, but the benefit of, of you know compounding, which is like, like 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 they say the eighth wonder of the universe, is if you continuously do the same sort of actions, the results will come in faster. And I would say the past eighteen months is where I've raised I would say eighty percent. No, I wouldn't say that. I'd probably say seventy percent of all the funds has been within the past eighteen months. So um, you know I've been in property I would say full time for eight years. I've been using other people's money for four years, but I've only really been doing serious stuff for the past 18 to 20 months, I would say. Mm. And again, it's good to share that because people might be at month 16, you know, and people might be at month one or whatever. So it's nice to hear that actually, all in all, it's taken you know, a good chunk of time for you to be at that level performing where you can raise this kind of money. And sometimes it's as easy as the first person you meet, which is 
you know, fantastic when it happens, um, and you can't really believe it sometimes when it happens. Um, so that's raising finance, and I think there's a lot of tips in there and a lot of useful tips for people. But before we get onto like what you're now doing in property, the the, the cool stuff you're building, um, could you maybe give people like I don't know top three tips for networking? So maybe like you know, if people who are new to property or new to networking, it can be nerve wracking. It's a room full of strangers. I'm standing at the door. Give me three tips. Yeah, sure. And and you're right. It, it can be do it can be uh, nerve wracking as well. But once you come over that fear, it's 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 actually second nature. So three tips I would say. The very first one is have a I, I call it criteria, but you know, not necessarily have a reason to go. So I'm only going networking to raise money, for example, but have a criteria. So uh, the second one, oh sorry, let me just elaborate on that. Criteria, what I mean is if you have a rough Every, like every time I go to a networking event, I'm not there just to raise money, but I'm always there to raise money, if that makes sense. And I, I always have a criteria for the money and the people that I want to work with. So the very first rule I say is have a criteria, have a real think about it. And then the people that you actually need to speak to, because it's just the way your brain works, you start picking up on them. So like I said, if you if you look for a yellow car, all of a sudden you start seeing hundreds of them. It's the same, it's the same principle. The second key thing is I'd say, you you do you hear this a lot, but you do need to work the room. Um, if you have a criteria, it's easier to do that. So instead of just staying with the same person all night, try and get around the room. Uh, and, and, and the more people you can potentially touch base with, the, the likelier it is that you'll find that investor. And the third, the third key point I would say as well is ask them questions. So if you're nervous and you're still in the back room and you say you don't know you don't know what to do. Uh, it's more. It's mainly because of. It's mainly because that you don't know how to either don't know how to speak to people. Or you're uncomfortable speaking to people, and let me tell you the golden rule I've learned: people love, love talking about themselves. Yeah, <laughs> you know I don't care who it is. You start asking people questions and like good questions. So like, I'll give you an example. Just this will help people if they don't know what to do. I know. I always start with. And I'll just walk up to any people in a networking event and I'll just open up straight away. If they're already speaking, I'll, the very first thing I'll say if they're speaking to someone else is, do you mind if I join? That's the first thing. They've never, no one's, no one's ever said no. If, if, they, if they're not speaking to anyone, I'll go up to them and I'll just put my hand out and I'll say, hi, I'm Dorian. And then that starts it off. They normally say who they are. And then all you have to say to them is, what brings you to this event? Where are you based? What is it you do? And then just build questions from them. Every time they reply back to you, say, you know, say, tell me more. If I say I'm a property investor, people have said that to me. I say, tell me more. What is it you do in property? And the more questions you'll ask someone, the less nervous you'll be. And eventually, it'll come around to you, and they want to listen to you. Then, so that's three good tips I would say. Very good. The last one in particular, I often say to people beforehand, have some sort of questions ready that if things do get awkward or if. Someone is like, "Yep, I'm a property investor. Yep, I live here." You can kind of open <laughs> yeah. them up, yeah, um, dealt with them, and, yeah. and warn them up. But I have a question for you on networking before we move on. Um, working the room, cool. Now, how do you exit each conversation tactfully to then Ooh. move on and work the room? Because I know that is something that people struggle with, but they don't talk about. Yeah, they do. Um, and there, there's a few different. There's, I would say a few different, just small sentences. Most people get uh, really uncomfortable with it because they don't want to hurt someone's feelings, which is nice. It is nice. However, nice doesn't really get you results. You can do it in a nice way. What I'm saying is, I mean, you don't, you won't seem, it's not nasty. 
sorry, let me. That, that was what I was trying to say. It's not nasty to just turn around and say to someone, you know, let let's touch base later. So the, a few quick questions, a few quick sentences I would say that you need to sp- that I use when speaking to people is, I just need to speak to that person over there. That's one. The other one I would say is, I've got your card. Let's touch base. I'll give you a call at, or drop your line after the networking event. That ends that one. The other one is, I'm just going to get a drink. That ends that one. And the other one is absolutely lovely to speak with you. Um, I really like what it is you're doing and let's, let's keep in touch. Just ends it. So, you know, there's, there's many different ways you can do it. You can say it as nice as you want, or you can, you can literally say, I need to speak to that person over there. Pleasure to speak with you. We'll touch base soon. So it, it depends on the person you're speaking with, I would say. It's, it's all pretty much the same thing. What would yeah. you say, Tej? Um, I would probably say a combination of, I think I've heard myself saying a combination of all of them, but I also host PPN Knightsbridge, a little plug, second Tuesday of every month. Yeah, Doreen, you must um, come along. Um, yes, for sure. I would probably say, and I guess kind of what I do is when I welcome people in and say, hey, you know, have the little chat with them. Really love to meet you. Have you got a card? Um, I'm just going to carry on, you know, welcoming people in and hosting. Um, I look forward to speaking to you a bit later. You know what I mean? I think that gives me a a quite a nat when you host an event it's natural that you're you know bopping about between everyone so yeah yeah, yeah definitely. I guess that's kind of what i'd say but i think yeah they're all really good lines um and it's also how you say it isn't it it's just just it is <laughs> the tonality yeah yeah it's it's the way you kind of deliver it, and the smile and things like that so amazing one, thing, one, one sorry mate just because this this actually is very important and, and um it happened to me personally one key thing I said before we leave networking is, um, yeah, you've got your openers and you've got your exits. That's great. Um, and you've got sort of some key questions to ask people and that will really start you going. But one key important thing, and please do remember this, if you're speaking with someone, genuinely look at them or seem engaging. There's nothing worse than when you're speaking with someone at a networking event and as you're talking, they're just looking around the room, wondering, wondering who else to speak to. Um, and that's happened to me. And literally, I just stopped talking halfway through the sentence. And I was just looking like, you know, excuse me. <laughs> do you know, so it just makes you not feel that important. And that you would do that to someone else as well. So any report you was building would be destroyed. That's all I would say. That's a good point. And I can imagine you stopping halfway. Um, <laughs> I could just totally see that. So yeah. let's get on to property. So, you know, you obviously, you bought those, um, it was buy to lets, right? You first started out with your brother. They were flips, they were. Flips. So you did the flips, and I assume you have some, you did buy to lets and some HMOs? Yeah, or? yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So you did the normal kind of progression, and that's fine, you know, everyone everyone talks about that, but you do something now which is slightly different, and which is what I kind of teased at the beginning of the podcast. So what is your main, like, what do you do right now? What's your main property thing? Yeah, sure. So, so I am a co-founder of Castell Group. We're a property development company that specializes in forward selling property development oh sorry development sites across south wales so forward selling in a nutshell is when you have your exit agreed in advance so you know you've sold them basically before you before you start work before you start building them before you start spending real money now that sounds amazing i would love to sell products before i've even got them in stock uh so like (laughs) I mean, so let, let's talk about let's talk about one of your deals because I think putting it into numerical context would help people understand. Can you talk us through one or two of, of these, and, and yeah, then we'll, we'll flesh it out from there. 
Sure. So just just a quick thing as to as to why I really started looking down that route. Um, and this is just to show you the realities of property. Um, I, I, so as our developments were, were scaling, um, we, we did a, a private development, i.e. we did one for the open market, um, only a small site, a couple of units, and couldn't sell it, unfortunately, at the end. Um, was working with an investor on it. So this is the realities right here. So we used investors' funds and the banks, and we did all the hard work. Property was absolutely lovely, lovely when it was finished, and we had a small blip in the market where things were just stalling on 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 the sales, and could not sell the pro the the finished development. So um, really scary moment in terms of you know days are ticking away. You have to pay investors back. You have to pay the bank back, and um, it was the reality that if I had multiple sites like that at the same time, I would go bust in a nutshell um, because the market turned and I needed to pay people back due to having finance. So that is the downside of borrowing, of leverage, of bank money, is you have to pay it back. And if you don't, you are in trouble. So, and that's what I was, I was in trouble. But touch, uh, no, sorry, luckily enough, I... It, you know, market picked up, it sold and paid investor back in full and they returned and we paid the bank back in full. Um, you know, we, we spoke with the bank, so we was very open about the problem and they agreed to give us an extension of time. The bank did, which was good, paid for it, but they still did it. So um, didn't go down as a default or anything. But that, that was the reality. That was the reality. Um, all X did now, absolutely fine. So after that, realized, God, do not like this. Realized what my exit strategy, uh, so my my risk uh, level was, which to be honest with you is, I would say medium, uh, and I I deemed that type of development as a high risk because of the because of the uh, problem if if it backfired. Um, so I started focusing then on how I can actually forward sell these deals, and then you know we found some buyers that were happy to purchase in advance, and that that's what we did. So yeah, that, I just wanted to explain that a little bit more. Um, in terms of the developments, I actually completed on a site today, so which is which is good news for us. We bought a site right now, just to give you an example, for two hundred and fifteen thousand five hundred. It's in Neath. You probably know Neath, Tesh, right? Yeah. So it's in Neath, and it is a detached house, which is derelict, with a commercial building on the side of it, which is big. Our plan. So we bought the whole lot for two hundred fifteen. We're refurbing the house and then going to sell it for about 130, something like that. So we'll be approximately 100 grand left in the deal for the commercial building. Now, we've had a favorable pre-app. Um, we've had multiple meetings, even with Highways and Suds, uh, sorry, SAB, which is basically um, the Suds, so which is Sustainable Drainage uh, Approving Body, which in developments in Wales, you need that approved. You don't need it in England, but you do in Wales, which is the fun of development in Wales. And we're going to build. We're going to build ten flats on there. So the total GDV of the site, including the house, is one point five million. The ten, the ten apartments are pre-sold, so they're already sold. And obviously, the house isn't pre-sold, but that's very small risk for, you know, it's, that that'll be absolutely fine. Um, the total cost, the, the the actual build is approximately sort of 700,000. That's that's what we do because we don't use the main contractor. Um, we, sub, we sub things out. And yeah, in a nutshell, 1.5 million GDV, 215,000 uh, purchase price, 
and about 700,000 bill costs, including professionals, and exit all in. So it leaves us approximately 500 gross. Um, wow. Yeah, after after factoring into finance. And I mean, that sounds incredible. Uh, when it comes to like sort of this having sold it already, um, like what kind of people are, are buying it? Is it is it like are you selling it to Tom, Dick and Harry on the road? Is it like a, a council? Is it an association? Yeah, sure. So no, it's uh, there's there's like a hand, small handful. So we work with registered social landlords. We work with charities, and we also work with some. I would say they, they're kind of private, but they're the larger, larger private associate uh, like syndicates. So basically, kind of like pension funds. If that makes sense. But they they're only they're really only interested in the larger sites. Um, but the main the main are registered social landlords and charities. Those are the main ones, and I mean, it sounds like a you know like an incredible strategy. But are, you know, what are the kind of cons of this? I mean, are they really really specific with their requirements? Are they like like what what difficulties do you face with this? So so it's it's great when it works. Um, I would say that you're but it, but it has risks. So if the reason why we managed to make good good margin in the sites is because we're taking calculated risks. Now, for you have to do X amount of work to get a site to be in a position where it's pre-sold. Now, one of your biggest risks lies in the fact that you need to fund X amount in advance in terms of getting a reasonable assessment on planning, some professionals and reports to be done, and specific uh, architectural drawings to be done as well. So you're probably talking about every site you're going to be spending between five and ten grand before you even know for sure that it's going ahead you'll have an indicative okay but you won't know for sure if it's going ahead so as you can see you can't just you know unless you're prepared to risk that type of money which we are because we understand the model um you could lose that money effectively so there's the there's the risk uh yes you do have to build specific size requirements but because we really focus on new build that's not really much of a problem for us it is a problem if you're doing conversions though so yeah, those two things to watch out for. And then on the the first point, um, like when it comes to, so so are you saying before you even purchase the site, you got to spend five to ten grand? Yeah, because if you purchase the site and then they don't want it, then you're in trouble. <laughs> so uh, yeah, you you would try and there's a process we follow. We try and get we we obviously always get exclusivity with the vendor. Now that is quite tough to actually prove in 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 kind of law you 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 are doing a little bit of a gentleman's agreement but they sign it so we get them to sign heads of terms which include an exclusivity agreement we do negotiate options but there's no point us taking the option out on the site if it only works for our model and doesn't work for the open market for example you might as well just get it to a point where you know it's you can pre-sell it forward sell it and then execute the the original agreement does that make sense yeah so you would never so i mean say for example one of these sites these sites you look at are most of them ones that you know because you're experienced are just not going to work on the open market that's right yeah interesting so i think yeah because you know in, in a lot of parts of wales buying land is like negative value if you, yeah. you know, before you even think about selling them it's like they have to pay you to buy the land <laughs> off them. <laughs> like it's yeah. it's kind of it's a funny one, and people don't get it. But what you're doing is then bringing 
that kind of land into use for people who need it the most. So yeah, but do you especially find... for disabled that that works well for disabled? Yeah. Ah. Do you find yourself failing a lot? Like, do you find ten sites and it's like, ugh, one barely works with them? So so last year we we sourced about three hundred and fifty deals. Most of our projects, our our developments are off market. Um, the you know yeah most of them were off market and um, we sourced about 350 last year uh, of which actually materialized is about 10 that stacked and a couple that are what I call diamonds in the rough so with diamonds in the rough I mean they are amazing deals that really come up uh, 10 that stacked to our criteria and that we pre-sold but yeah the, I'll give you an example of what a diamond in the rough looks like so We've negotiated a site. Funny enough, it's in Neath again, but we don't we don't just do Neath, but it is in Neath. Um, and the land is landlocked, uh, but we know the owner of the property blocking the ex- ac- exit, and the land behind it can fit about 16, 16 properties. And the vendor, meet with the vendor, he all he wanted was uh, a bungalow for his mum. Lovely guy. And works really hard. He wants to love. He wants a bungalow for his mum, and he will give me the land. So we've agreed the deal that I will build the bungalow as part of the scheme, give it to him at the end. But he's got to transfer me the land first. Now he doesn't know this, but I'm also going to give him a cash amount of a, of about ten grand, something like that, just because. Well, you know, it, it's it's just nice to do that. And if I make enough from it, then really it doesn't matter, does it? So uh, and and he could really he could really use it. So. Um, yeah, that that's the agree that's the agreement. So diamond in a rough, he's given me the land. I can then use that as leverage. Don't really need to raise money from a private investor. We've pre-sold the sixteen units, minus the one for for um, his mum, so fifteen. And then because we demol because I know the owner of the front, they've agreed for us to demolish it and give them a new unit at the back, uh, plus rehousing the existing tenants. So we can sell fourteen to them, which we've agreed a sale price of two point two million. And what's the profit looking like on that? About seven hundred thousand, because some of the units are apartments, so they're not really that costly to build for us. Very nice. T- um, Touchwood. Yeah. So, and I think it's nice to obviously you, you know, you're sorting them out as well. Um, and it, <laughs> I think people hearing that are going to think, "Oh my god, someone's giving you land for a bungalow." And it's like things like this do happen, and it's all about yeah, do. relationships. If you were, if you were a dick, then this deal wouldn't happen right simply put oh 100% 100% it's all about it's all about building trust people i tell you what one of the best books i ever read was dale carnegie how to win friends and influence people um i don't like the word influence people but really it, it the, the the bottom line is it if you're nice and if you genuinely ask people the questions and interest them and if you have got a good nature and good objective you you know, you will you will befriend people, and once you befriended them and tr- and they trust you, you can do deals, really good deals. Mm. That's that's really important. Be- and that and that book is like it's just like the guide to life. Cheers, um, oh mate, it's changed changed my life. That book did same. I, I like I read it every year. I have like an annual reading of it. Um, oh great, just well to done. refresh on that. Okay, so when it comes to these deals uh i think maybe what people are going to think and this is why i asked you when i met you is why don't these associations and companies just build it themselves we know if you kind of do a bit of digging some of them have very big they don't call it profit but it's profit profit reserves so why don't they just do it themselves instead of paying you a market sort of level premium maybe 
Well, the answer is, Tej, that they do. So uh, they do do it themselves. Now, again, the reason why they're working with us is because that we've kind of befriended them <laughs> in a way where the, 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 the sort of proposition we've offered them is really attractive to the, to, the, to the companies that we're working with. So, I mean, if you think about it from their point of view, they're busy, they have targets. We've gone to them and said, look, we'll fund the upfront bit. We'll make sure it works. We'll fund the build. We'll handle the planning. We'll manage the build. We'll make sure that it complies with all of your requirements. All you've got to do is tell us you're going to buy it. Sound fair enough? <laughs> I'll buy a couple of them then, please, mate. You sold me. Um, and can they uh, go back on the contract to buy it off you? And if they do, what are the consequences? So once, so most we get them to exchange with us uh, before we start. So, so, so they're legally bound into it um, uh, because it's important for us. If you think about it, if we're building something bespoke, we need to be, we need to be assured that they're going to have it. So the contracts that we have, yeah, they, they exchange, basically. They can't back out. And if they do back out and default on exchange, we'll just come after them for damages or whatever our damages come to. It's not happened. Touch wood, it doesn't. Um, and because the balance sheet of these companies are really strong, if they have a debt to pay, you know, they, you know they, the balance sheet of their company, which is public information, tell me that we ain't going to have a problem then paying. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know you're working with big players, so therefore it's I mean, not, they have no excuse. The, the one company we're working with, they have, about two, they have 225 million of assets on the book of over you know, thousands of homes under, the, under their ownership. And they're, they're, not, they're only geared to 40, 42%. So if, I'm asked, if they're buying a site of me for 1.5 million, I think they'll be all right. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, that is... Uh... Someone's making a lot of money out of that 42% LTV. Yeah. Um, and that, that is actually a good point, to be honest with you, Tess, because if you can pre-sell to any, forward sell to anyone, like you said, Tom, Dick and Harry. But if you're pre-selling, if you're forward selling to someone that has no asset, that is still risky, you know? Mm, because yeah. because you can forward sell, but if, like you said, if they enter into an obligation to buy, but they've got nothing behind them, they can still go bust. It's, uh, and if, if it's a bespoke product as well, i.e., you can't really sell it to anyone else. Then you're, uh, you, 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 so the risk level changes on every deal. You've got to, like when we do our appraisal, it's not just a numbers appraisal. It's an it's an initial assessment. It's a planning appraisal. It's a numbers appraisal. It's a risk appraisal. You know, we we go our 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 appraisal spreadsheet is like twenty pages long. Wow. But but you need to be in these types of deals. Yeah, that makes sense. And how long does it take to go from? you know, you, let's say, finding a piece of land to then the profit being in your bank account and you can see it on your phone in your bank account? Yeah, that's that, again, that's a good question as well. So uh, the answer is quite long. <laughs> now, um, so, so, we, so we do two things. Obviously, we develop, but we also do a bit of land flipping as well. So some sites will take to uh, buildable and we'll just sell it on instead of us building it out that's a bit faster that takes on average between approximately nine months to do um if you are going to so so we predominantly build by the way within the development uh, within the development boundary the development settlement of, of uh, areas and we predominantly build brownfield sites so sites that have an existing or previous use on it um we we, we do have a small greenfield site as well, which has been basically undeveloped land. 
but we predominantly build brownfields. We want to as well because we want to bring the area back in. Uh, but that, that's, that's just a bit of information because the different types of land that you're trying to do in areas have different timescales, so remember that. So if you're buying a site that's outside the development settlement, um, and you you know it's going to take you longer, possibly longer than a site that's in the development settlement. Um, just think so. That's just a little bit of information. But for us, on average, finding a site to actually acquiring a site can take anywhere from three to well three months to, but, but the average is more like sort of five to six months, anywhere up to a couple of years because you might have an option on it or something. The actual process then from once you bought it to get planning literally is like another six months so you're in you're in 12 months already worst case nine to 12 months and then the process to build takes approximately for our sites between 10 and 12 months on average it takes us 18 months to 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 do everything from start to finish that's on average but but as you can probably see each point is broken broken down and you can have fluctuations that 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 come in faster or come in longer on average is 18 months painful to think about um oh it is yeah i mean i get annoyed when things take longer than 18 days so <laughs> i'm like you have patience and you know what this is another bit of a spoonful of reality because people want to jump into development whether it's you know forward selling whether it's just open market whatever they want to jump into the kind of things that you are doing and you're speaking about but what is missed and what's maybe missed off you know education and stuff is 18 months is like you will be a different age when this is done, like you will have, you will, you, you will have like it's it is a long time. And, and well, the key the key thing for developments when it comes to risk is your 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 risk in terms of market risk might be absolutely fine now, but you've got to remember in eighteen months, no, you don't know what the market's going to be like. So that's where forward selling is why is why we prefer to do it because it takes your market risk out. Um, well, to a, to a certain degree. Um, but but the, yeah, you're right. So I there was a great saying by Richard Little. You probably know him. Uh, he's he's a pro, he's a prolific developer, and um, he said that get a development is a get get poor quick, <laughs> get rich slow. And it's true. If you do it right, you will get wealthy. It's just fact. If you do it right, um, if you don't do it right, you will get poor. That is also fact. Oh, Warren Buffett also says it. I'm looking at his book right now. But he says his secret, everyone basically said to him, Warren, why doesn't everyone just do what you're doing? And he literally just hit it on the head and said, nobody wants to get rich poor, uh, get rich slowly. You know, no one does. Because uh, the truth, that is the truth. If you want to get rich, it'll take time. You do it right. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And and it's true. And it's, it, you know, and listening to their words, it's it's still easy for us to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, fine. 18 months, 18 months. But it's 18 months of stress challenges oh yeah yeah um i I would be lying i would be lying if i didn't tell you that it is extremely stressful it is always it's always on your mind but i but also i'd be lying if i didn't say that the time scale really infuriates me because i am an impatient guy i am i want stuff yesterday (laughs) i know one big shift for me though is i'm no longer in property just for the money anymore i've learned to really love it uh, as, as, as a as a business itself i treat it as a business and like if you were if you were going to open a um you know if you were going to open a chip shop as a business or something you wouldn't expect to make a million tomorrow you would expect to grow it maybe franchise it get more stores things like that and then make a million over time it's the same thing with property really 
just because you can make a million pound in a deal doesn't mean that you should jump straight into it and try and do it within a week. It's, uh, but yeah, once, once you change that mindset, it becomes a lot more clearer and enjoyable. Uh, but it is still tough. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, I like the honesty because it's, you know, yes, you're making say 700 grand over 18 months, which is about 38 grand a month. I didn't do that off the top of my head. I have a calculator in front of me. Oh, um, <laughs> but, you know, oh, you were, yeah. but you then have to ask yourself, that is a very significant chunk of money, depending on your view. Uh, but could you make that in a different way with less market risk? With le- You know, it's yeah. one of these things, right? Development's great, but you really do have to analyze because you're in it for a long time and you're in it like right. you're, you're stuck in it so yeah and i noticed there's people that want to do developments just because they want to do developments if that makes sense for some reason when you go around property they they like developments is, is is for some reason got like this golden halo around it where once i'm doing developments i am successful but really that is not the case i know people that have multi-million pound businesses doing with, with stuff they do not even own or build you know, it's it, you can make money in nearly any sector that you want. So you you hit the nail on the head, really. The vet, it comes back down to we talked about criteria for deals and money, but once you have a criteria for your life in terms of what you want, what once you start with where you actually want, what you want out of life, so money, but also your lifestyle, what you want your time and your just you know your future to look like. When you match that against the realities of these different property, you know, call them strategies, you will know if it's for you or not. And most of the time, if you find out development isn't for you, that is also a very good step. You know? Yeah, I agree. And I think, yeah, there's definitely a, um, whether it's ego or whatever, there is a sort of thing around development being the, the top of the game, which, you know, I guess technically it is the top of the game and it's the hardest, most challenging, most expensive, most rewarding part. Um, but like, mate, give me 200 by to let's single vanilla boring mm. as hell. I'm happy. Mm. Um, you know, the only reason I'm going to do some developments is because well, I, get, I get bored easily. <laughs> look, look, look at my family, my family uh, and I've been involved with them. Like I said, so I've been personally involved, fortunately having about 70 different property transactions from start to finish within my family portfolio. But the, the family, you know, that portfolio is in the triple digits and they don't do development. They don't, they, mm. they, you know, it's predominantly single let, whether that be resi, semi-commercial, commercial, but it's predominantly single let, rinse and repeat, build it up, and it works. You know, it has worked. It's worked since the 80s for them, and it's still working today. So, you know, why change it? It works. Yeah, 100%. So, and, and that's a nice sort of message there, right, is do what is going to work for you, your risk mm-hmm. appetite, your goals, your ambitions, your situation, your future situation. Um, you know, just because I'm doing this and Dorian's doing that, doesn't mean anything on what you should or shouldn't do so Doreen, this has been an incredible podcast um yeah i love to thank there's, you yeah there's oh, we could talk for days like you said before yeah. um but maybe if you could leave people with i don't know what are your top three goals for the next year sure. five years ten years whatever so i would like to just start with um I, I you know so i'm very clear with my goals and i'd like to just explain them um because I've like in reverse engineer back what I've just told people to do on the listen to podcast. I've actually done that as well. So, um, and also a shout there as well to, you know, I, you know, I, I specifically go out there and, um, 
I've got some coaches as well that I work with. So like we touched on the education thing earlier uh, about these courses and stuff. And I, I agree with you, Tej. When, when, there's, when there's education companies that just do education just to make money, that most of the time is not, is not, a, good, uh, it's not a good recipe. But there's some people out there that don't even run uh, education companies. They're just very knowledgeable. And I pay them more like consultants to oversee and basically bounce ideas off. And like I said to one of my coaches, I'm sort of working with you because I want to know the, the things I, I do not know yet. Does that make sense? Um, and, when, and the reason I do that is obviously in my type of development, if I make one mistake, I will, you know, it causes a massive problem. So, um, you know, my goals really, uh, right, let, let me, imagine this, let me set the scene. <laughs> so I'm building my company, Castle Group, to develop 500 homes per year. That is the goal. And to do that, I need some really experienced people, and hence what I was just saying and about sort of coaching down that route to help. Um, and I'm looking to build that so it turns over approximately, and these are just, you know, about 100 million a year in revenue. And my exit then on that is to be to, is to float it or to merge it with a larger company. That is my original goal. That's what I'm working towards. 500 homes per year to float or to sell. My personal cash flow goal is 200,000 per month. And this is a 10-year goal, by the way. I am, my luxury lifestyle will not cost me more than 10,000 a month. Um, and that's, that for me is I'm not a materialistic person. I don't really you know, want all of that stuff. It's not what I'm working for. I just really want a life where I don't have to worry about anything. Uh, the majority of my money is for my lifelong goal, is, which is really what I want to be and what I always wanted to be as well as a property investor, which I'll always be, is a prolific investor in terms of I want to invest in businesses. I want to invest in those things that can change the world. I want to be sat around the table with those that are starting out and I want to be able to put in 100000 not really worry if it comes back, but be there for the journey and to watch it scale and grow. I love listening and hearing about stories of how you know Netflix was founded, Virgin was founded, um, all, all businesses like that is amazing of what it can get to. Um, and then, yeah, that, those, those, are the, those are the key financial goals I'm working towards. Take it back down into, um, and, and I'll, get the, I'll get the recurring income, by the way, but through a property portfolio of at least 500 to sort of 700 unit, uh, homes. That's, that's what I'm aiming towards. Um, take that back down to what I'm working towards this year. So if you want to achieve a big goal like that, it's great to have it, but you shouldn't be working towards that every day. So you shouldn't be really thinking about that. You should just take them into bite-sized chunks, like you know your year goal. So this year, my aim is to raise a further two million for Castell Group, is to acquire another four key strategic sites, to land flip five other sites, and to add six more properties to my personal portfolio. Um, I'm not really scaling as actively as I want to be is mainly because I'm so focused at the moment on the development side takes up so much energy, but those are my yearly goals. And I've reverse engineered them in a way where if I, if I hit this goal and then year two, year three, year four, year five, year six, year seven, my year nine to 10 goal will be that 10 year goal. I just explained. Does that make sense? Mate sounds incredible. Sounds big. (laughs) I love it. So, Dorian, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I think a lot of people are going to be inspired and I hope that people have been taking notes about networking because, you know, you've you've displayed the results it can achieve um, and I know anyone can achieve them. 
as long as they follow the steps that we've kind of gone through and they keep going to networking events like PPN Knightsbridge every second Tuesday. So um, if people <laughs> want to get a hold of you to have a chat after this, what's the best way they can do it? So the best way to come and contact me is to attend PPN Knightsbridge. I'll be there. Um, <laughs> you know, I'll tell you, there's a little plug for you, mate. No, uh, <laughs> no the best way to get in touch with me, I would say, is probably social media, actually. Yeah, so I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Each of the URLs for me is Dorian Payne Property. It's quite easy. Um, and, yeah, that's the, best, that's the easiest way to, to reach out to me. So please do. If I can help you in any way whatsoever, I'll be more than happy to do so. And I just love talking about property as well. So, yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dorian. Tej, honestly, thanks a lot for having me. It's been a real pleasure. I really do appreciate it. If you like this podcast, connect with Tej on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube for more great content.